Hello, my name is John James and I'm a writer and campaigner for male victims of female perpetrated domestic violence and an advocate for men's mental health. Today on FTD Talk, Nick will be talking to Craig, who will be talking about his abuse, parental alienation and his recovery from abuse and trauma. It's a very powerful uh, conversation and a very interesting one. I hope you find it interesting too. But before you go, please remember to press that like button, smash that subscribe button. The bigger the channel gets, the more people we can help. So, take care of yourself, take care of each other, and don't forget, don't let anybody make you feel afraid. Peace. Well, good day, and welcome to this episode of FTD Talk. I'm Nick, and I'm here to talk to Craig who's got a story for us today, uh, which is one about um, abuse, but in particular, we're gonna talk about parental alienation. So uh, welcome, Craig, how are you doing? Uh, very well, thank you. Thanks for, uh, thanks for the invite, Nick. No, no, thank you. We're delighted that um, you've been able to join us and, and are able to speak out and um, be another voice for male victims. So thank you very much. Uh, so, Craig, let's first of all talk about. Um, I understand that um, in the past you were you were you were married, and that marriage was potentially abusive. Is that right? Uh, yes, um, <clears throat> I was married for. Um, well, the relationship was uh, went for um, eight years. Okay. Um, and I have three boys. Okay, it's part of that marriage. Uh, yes. Yeah. So, um, fairly ordinary, um, fairly ordinary story. Um, we, <clears throat> I had a, a pretty interesting career as a chef. Um, I uh, was successful in uh, gaining a, a job with a pretty prestigious um, business uh, in Cornwall and moved down there with uh, what was then our small family, just myself, my wife, and my, uh, my son. And whilst we were there, um, two more boys. Lovely. Nothing particularly okay. remarkable about anything. Um, there were ups and downs and the distance between um, the family, the, the, the base being in, in the northwest and us living in the southwest, quite a long distance, some of that was challenging. Yeah. And I think that led to the start of the breakdown of uh, the marriage. Okay, okay. And uh, a lot of sort of abuse victims, they talk about, you know, red flags, things that you know, cause concerns and, and make you start to feel that perhaps you are in an unhealthy relationship. So what, what were the sort of signs that made you think that things were getting a bit unhealthy between yourself and your wife? Um, there were small instances to start with. Um, complaints, um, she, she was particularly uh, vicious about uh, time that I spent with the family obviously with the job that I was doing we were led by customer demands in the mm -hmm. tourist industry yeah um she was particularly dissatisfied um for in, in general and I could never put my finger on why why she was particularly unhappy we lived in a nice house we were financially secure um, we had a, you know, a good lifestyle that was the end would be the envy for of a lot of people. Um, but she was unhappy with um, the distance between where we lived and where her family lived, and the amount of time that we were able to spend with them. In hindsight, I think a lot of that uh, dissatisfaction was from pressure from her mother okay. i'll look at that uh, later on yeah. um to be honest i never saw any red flags okay. at that time i saw nothing 
Okay. Um, in hindsight, yeah, there's there's lots of things that I could say were not right. Um, the frequency of uh, having quite loud rows, um, the way that she would bring in the children into those rows. There was one instance where she told my eldest son that she was going to go and find a new daddy and presented the boy in front of me to tell me that. Yeah. And when I challenged him, he got extremely upset about it, obviously. Um, I didn't make an issue of that. And, and you, you just walk away. And it was only something that I recanted later on when, um, when we were looking at it after things came to a head. But I had colleagues at work saying, this isn't right. Um, this is it's not a normal relationship. You, you need to look at this. Um, but I was in a position, I was in a supervisory position and people who were noticing these behavior patterns were younger than me. And I have to admit it. Um, I dismissed them. I didn't listen to it. Um, if there was a serious incident and I was going into work with facial injury, um, I tended to brush it off or turn it into a joke. You know, there's nothing wrong, guys, you know, ha ha ha, it's just yeah, a bit so of a... So, Craig, some of these, uh, you know, whatever we call them, arguments, fights, whatever, um, were resulting in you getting injuries then, physical injuries? Uh, yeah, I did have um, uh, an incident where I had a physical injury. Um, but I didn't consider it serious. No. Do you, you know, do you mind it, asking... it was more of a... Um... Sorry, Craig. Apologies. Go on. Sorry. Yeah, no, it, it wasn't... It wasn't... I don't, it wasn't serious enough to take any hospital. It wasn't even treated. I, I went to work with scratches down one side of my face. And how did they come about, if you don't mind me asking? Um, uh, it was uh, uh, an argument um, over, I, I, I can't even remember. I can't remember what the argument was over, but it, the, the arguments tended to be staged and extremely trivial. And the, that particular argument was significant because I, uh, I had a, a sort of an interview that day, which has, was cancelled because, uh, because I had these scratches on my face. Um, and th that was something of concern. I think I got taken, away, I I got taken to one side by my line manager on that occasion but again I said it's, it's it's not serious it's just a uh, a row between a man and his wife she's not happy at the moment um and it got a little bit out of hand like, it's not like I'm being punched or kicked or anything like that and it's still to this day maintained that the physical uh violence was few and far between she was not a physically violent person it was just um one or two incidents that were isolated it wasn't a regular occurrence but by virtue of that it it was a red flag that was missed yeah sure sure and, and sorry to ask the question craig so forgive me but in those sort of like rare moments where she was physical were you physical in any way like was was it kind of like six and one half a dozen of the other or was it was it one-sided um, that particular incident was one-sided mm. because it just came out of no, nowhere. She intended to leave a mark. Yeah. So it, it wasn't, she, she didn't intend to cause pain or, or, or serious injury or anything like that, but she wanted to leave a mark. Yeah. yeah. She wanted to leave a mark so that my next day will be awkward knowing that I had this yeah. interview. Yeah. And if we flipped it and said that you as the man did that to her as a woman, would, would you play it down as much as you are at the moment? Um, well, there was an incident that uh, I got physical with her and I slapped her across the face. Right. OK. And um, that was a result of um, a, a blazing row 
and she was um, smashing items up in the kitchen. And this was in front of the children. So yeah. I slapped her across the face. Yeah. And it was, um, it was instinctive. It was as it, my, my issue was, I need to make this stop. Yeah. She's not being reasonable. I can't speak to her. How do I bring this to an end? Yeah. And this was in front and, of the children, did you say? She, she was doing this. Um, she yes. was smashing up the kitchen. This was in, in, front in, the in front of the children. And she'd, the, the row was in front of the children. She'd gone into the kitchen and started to smash small items, nothing very big. It's just to have an impact, make some noise and, and, and a bit of mess. And I slapped her in the, across the face in the kitchen. That was out of sight of the children. Um, I'll be honest with you, if, if we we're in a different room, because it was a knee-jerk and uh, a, a, almost a, a reaction without thinking, I might have done it in front of the children. I can't say I wouldn't have done, mm, mm. but it was just a knee-jerk reaction. And yeah. as soon as that happened, everything stopped. And she said, ha, I'm going to ruin your life. And immediately phoned the police. Right. Okay. And, and did the police now, come? Yes. Yes. The police attended and um, I, uh, I had to give a statement. Uh, I was arrested um, at the once it had the statement um, I was offered a caution which I accepted uh, okay. and then that that was you know the interview stopped I was offered the caution I accepted the caution but the officer that interviewed me and made was actually in attendance at the house said I want to talk to you now we finished with the interview and this case is on the other side. I want to ask you some questions. Yeah. And she asked me about a dozen questions and it could be, it was stuff from, are you free to go out uh, in the evening with friends? Do you socialize? Um, are you being monitored? Uh, do you have access to all your accounts? Um, do you have to submit your phone for inspection? And after we went through all of those, uh, questions she said I, I believe you're you're un, you're experiencing domestic abuse and I, she referred me to the mankind initiative oh, wow okay so was that would that have been like around 2012 ish 2013 it was it was the it was the end of yes it was towards the end of 2012 Okay, so the police having come out and come out because your wife called them, yeah. um, interviewed you or spoke to you, you ended up with a caution, but they they recognised from speaking to you that you were in a an abusive relationship and that you were being controlled in some way. Yeah. Right, okay. Um, so said so the, the referral was made and uh, the, the police officer wanted to follow up seven days later to make sure that I had actually been in contact. And I think it was at that point, it was only at that point that I thought this is, uh, yeah, this yeah. is serious and it's, it's an abusive relationship. So, so at that point, Craig, the, the police, they, was, they must have spoken to your wife at that point time as well but they took no action against your wife or didn't speak to her at that time about anything is is, is that right or did they she she made a statement and um the police thought that the two statements matched and um were happy that um that there was no inconsistencies that i had uh, admitted uh, what i'd done and uh, they thought the caution was the uh, the best. Yeah, best but her behaviour in terms of smashing up bits of the kitchen, especially in front of the children, that wasn't a referral to social services or anything like that. They didn't see. Um, there was for... not at that point. They no. did refer uh, the matter to the social services later on. But did they refer it on the basis that you'd been cautioned, or on the basis that she was? suspected of controlling you do you know uh, no there's no quote there was no referral made at that point yeah, the referral okay. was done about yeah. three months later yeah yeah okay okay so um so you sought help from mankind so the charity mankind yep. 
And are you able to give us any sort of testimony in terms of how they were in terms of supporting you? And um, um, <laughs> Bearing in mind, at the point of getting in touch with mankind, I'm still not convinced that I was in an abusive relationship. Um, the remarkable thing about mankind was that I entered into it quite skeptical as to what was going on and what help they could offer. Um, as time went on, it, it, it occurred to me that they seemed to be predicting what was going to happen from week to week. They were predicting my wife's behaviour, making suggestions as how I could deal with it and move forward but saying, look, these are the pitfalls and this is what you need to look out for. This is like, you know, this, this could happen. Be careful. And I think it was that suggestion that there was a playbook or, or certainly a pattern of behaviour that they were aware of that sort of made me sit up and listen as to, right, you know, this, this could be a, a, an abusive, abusive relationship. Um, and we actually managed to get onto uh, marriage guidance counselling, um, which was a short program. And um, it wasn't very successful. And mankind had said that we don't think that this is going to work. Um, we appreciate you, you know, trying, but it, it's not going to. It's it's not going to be too fruitful and the is format that, was you sorry i've interrupted you again Craig. i do apologize but is that because um just just reflecting on my own experience one of the things where i must on a personal level drew things to a close is that realization that an abuser isn't going to change not not certainly quickly or or easily so did you find that was a kind of a a light bulb moment you kind of realize that actually getting getting yeah, yes yeah change out of this person is, is not going to happen you you get a mindset of you know well I, i've got to make a, an enormous effort for the sake of the children i'm going to have to change a lots of things we've got to look into what's wrong what improvements can be made and i thought the counseling would would be one step and and i was warned it, this may not work as it happens, it was six weeks of my wife telling everybody what a bastard I was. And on the last session, this marriage guidance counsellor said, I've listened to everything that, you know, that you've, you've all you're concerned and, and everything that you've put forward. And it says, and you constantly tell me that he doesn't let you speak and he doesn't let you talk and he's absolutely controlling but for six weeks, this man said nothing and has just let you get everything off your chest. And we're coming to the end of the session now and he's hardly had any input whatsoever. And then uh, the counsellor turned and said, How? Because I go, have you ever considered of supporting your husband? And that was the end of it. She, she, she just stood up and walked out. Uh, and the, the counsellor is just, I said, I'm just absolutely, totally and utterly frustrated that it was all how unhappy she was, uh, how, you know, what a rotten person you are. But, you know, she was describing someone who's absolutely the opposite. So um, that, well, this, this, it came to an end shortly after that. Yeah. If there are any... Um abuse victims and survivors listening to that they'll all be nodding their heads at you Craig I assure you they'll all be nodding their heads at that one um yeah um crikey okay so I take it so what happened then did the marriage come to a close um what what, what happened to the next and how, where did it go from there yeah the, the 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 marriage came to an end at that time we were living in um North Shropshire and um there was um, an almighty row which I it, it just appeared to be set up. It was, it was something I'd walked into after a day at work, and yeah. she's already got um, a, a play. Yeah, 
old she's already got Glendale. lined up what she's going to have a go about about. Yeah. yeah yeah and the, the mankind has already said if if it's going to kick off like that remove yourself from the situation go into a different room follows you into that room move out of that room go outside go for a walk but remove yourself from the from the argument see if things calm down and then go back yeah um on this occasion she was following me around so the and i tried leaving the house uh, and again she's following me outside the house so i phoned the police um and I wanted to speak to somebody in the domestic abuse uh, team because I couldn't get through to Mankind Initiative. The telephone helpline is limited. It only operates on limited hours. So sometimes it can be very, very difficult to speak to somebody. And they always said, if you feel that it's going to escalate, phone the police. So while speaking to the call handle... Just to clarify on that, that's because mankind operating voluntary phone lines, aren't they? So they've probably got limited. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Sorry, just to quantify that. So, sorry, carry on, Craig. Sorry. So um, the call handler um, who was, was, you know, just taking the details of the call would not put me through to a DV unit. She said she could hear what was going on in the background and she said, is that your wife? I said, yes, um, I just need some advice. Will you put me through to, uh, you know, and she said, I'm sending two officers out. No. So they could, they could hear said, all hell breaking loose in the they background. They could hear yeah, everything yeah, that was okay, going yeah. in the background. And I said, no, if you send officers out, it will make the matter a lot worse. You need just stay away. And she said, no, this is my call. I can hear what's going on in the background. I'm disp- dispatching officers now. Try and keep... Uh, try and keep calm and, and just keep some distance. They'll be with you in, in a short while. And they were there in two minutes. Yeah. And um, we, we, the community officer was the first to arrive and then we waited for a female officer. Um, when they turned up, we were both separated and I was made to give a, a, a victim statement, which I thought was peculiar because I wasn't actually making a complaint of anything. I was look, looking for advice, um, but they took statements from both of us and then went back to the house and said to my wife, look, you can't stay here. Um, it's not safe. You, you know, you, you, you need to, you're a safeguarding issue. You need to find somewhere else to, to stay tonight. They, they said that to your wife, not to you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No. Um, so not, not knowing how it was framed, she contacted her parents who are an hour and 20 minutes away. And they came to gather some things and she, she was, she had to leave the house, but she was allowed to take the kids. Okay. Why was she allowed to take the kids if she was a, safety problem because it only affected me okay in in what in their opinion <laughs> is that that was their, yeah it, it, yeah it, it, as far as anything escalating the row was between me and her and okay. not the children okay. and the risk was borne by me so she's okay. removed yeah with the children she doesn't bear any safeguarding issue Okay. With the, uh, with the no, <clears throat> no point were you asked to leave then. They didn't say to you, No. Craig, you must you must leave. <clears throat> no. no. Okay, that's interesting. Okay, good. All right. So they 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 asked her to leave and she did leave and she went to her parents with the kids. Yeah. And it was that point um I I made the decision that she wasn't coming back. Yeah, okay. Okay. So there's enough time had lapsed, and I said it's it's not going to work, and she didn't come back to the to the family home. Okay, and and is it and is it is it right she didn't come back to the family home? Then is that right? She didn't. Yeah, she didn't. No. Yeah. Okay. So are we 
uh, are we at the point there where you're going, you're filing for divorce then? Is that, is that the point we're at there? So- uh, well, no. Um, we, we had contact for about six months uh, after that. Okay. Um, and, you know, I had contact with the, the children and yeah. we, we were... And was she living with the parents you know, at this point? She lived with her parents for a, a short while. I think it was about six weeks. And then she got, uh, she rented a property very close to where her parents live. Which is an hour and 20 minutes and, away. But as an hour and 20 minutes away from, from where I lived. Okay. Um, so, yeah, she, she set a, 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 you know, a family home uh, with the children, with, with the support of, of her mum and dad who were absolutely delighted that uh, the whole family had moved back, so to speak, and were literally in the next street. Okay. And, and how often were you seeing your boys at that point? At once a week. Right. So was it weekends, weekend arrangement, was it? Or? No, no overnights. It would just be a few hours and it will be at the whim um, of of uh, of my uh, ex-wife, so there will be some days when I will go over there, and the eldest had been taken taken out for the day by the grandparents, or one of the children was sick, or there's quite a few times when I would okay. be literally twenty minutes from the house, and then the uh, contact was cancelled. And and how how old were your boys at this point, roughly? <laughs> Eight, two, and four. Okay, and up and up to up to and including this point, what what was the relationship like with you with your three boys? Um, yeah, very good. You know, we, we it's just like any other father. You, you we did day trips out. We went on holidays. Um, you know. You used to spend time with each individually. We do different things, visit farms. Um, you know, it's yeah, like any so, other dad. You, yeah, you, so, you, you have sort of leisure time and you'd also do mundane stuff like go and do the, the, the shopping or uh yeah. um but it but it was yeah. a happy it was a happy relationship between you and your boys. You had you had fun times, right? Yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so quote unquote normal father son sort of relationship up to that point. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, so what happened to this contact then with the children? Because obviously, we, I know that your story is going to be about um, being alienated from your kids. So, how how did that happen? How did that come about? Was it a slow burn, or like what what kind of led led into that i i think that the the dynamic had i think that the the, the uh the dynamic that act was already underway a conversation yeah. that i had with my father said um you know my eldest son does not have a very good opinion of you this is and i think it's coming from your in-laws so i think not only the mother was critical but I think her parents had, had, were, were drip-feeding this narrative of, uh, of, of alienation for, for some time. I don't think um, it, it was uh, a new thing. Um, when I started, when I got into a new relationship, then it ramped up um, dramatically. And... Um, Around that time, my uh, eldest son was referred to uh, the NSPCC by his school nurse, by their pastoral department. And they were very concerned of his mental health. So in a brief conversation, they said, you know, what was the, the issue? They knew that the family had, uh, had, had broken down and... And they knew that, uh, that that my eldest was not in the regular contact with uh, with me 
that he'd been used to up until we'd, uh, you know, the family breakdown. And it, it was at that point that, 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 that things really accelerated. Um, so the, the school referred mum and eldest son to the DART programme, which is uh, Domestic Abuse Recovering Together. And sorry, Craig, um, is that, that referral was sorry, Craig, is that is that an NSPCC program or is that something independent? It's, no, it's an NSPCC program. Yeah. Which can be run independently now, but at that time in 2013, it yeah. was a pilot scheme. And they were okay. looking to introduce this across the estates. Right. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. the so my yeah yeah my uh, so the ex and my eldest uh, were referred to the NSPCC where she recounted uh, the horror of her abusive relationship and I quote how she fled the family home and their their response was we we we, we have this this scheme where we, um, they, they look at the, uh, they, they look at helping the mother and the child together. And it's over, I think a 10 week period. And there's group sessions or individual sessions and uh, it's, it's uh, quite a comprehensive program. Uh, and they they put the, they agreed to take the two of them. Now at that time, I was suspicious as to what was going on. So I contacted the NSPCC as dad, and I managed to get hold of the counsellor who was looking after uh, my son's case, and we'd been told I'd been told that. Upon referral, the, my eldest boy was on the verge of a nervous breakdown. So, um, yeah, so we got in touch with the, uh, the NSPCC. The referral had been made um, um, for, the, for the DART programme. Now, when talking to the counsellor, she'd said that although there were... The, the, not all aspects of the DART programme were applicable to uh, my son's case. Um, he would benefit from um, a considerable uh, portion of that because of the state of his mental health at that time. And they thought that it was a benefit to, part to partake, participate in that um, so that he could overcome some of those issues. Um, the problem with that is they've put him on a 10-week course where he's been told I'm a perpetrator of domestic abuse. And they've based that referral on the say-so of the mother and nothing else. If they'd been in touch with West Mercia Police in Shropshire, they may have had indication as to what the behaviour was prior to the breakdown of the mass marriage, but they didn't. If they'd been in touch with social services, they would have had a, a similar um, report. But again, no checks and no balances. So to your knowledge, they didn't get in touch? Because, I mean, that's basically a disclosure, isn't it? To safeguard in disclosure, if, if a mother goes to the NSPCC and says, I'm a victim of domestic abuse and my children have been subject to that, that, that's a safeguarding disclosure. So legally, they would need to refer that on. So to your knowledge, they didn't. By their admission, they didn't. By their admission, they didn't. Oh, so you actually asked them that? Yes. Do you know why they didn't, they didn't refer that on? They, they didn't feel that it was necessary to, to uh, investigate that because it was a referral from the school. So it's already come from the school nurse, which is a health professional. And as they'd already said, not all of the aspects of the 
programme were applicable to that situation, but you would have benefited from some of the counselling to help with some of the mental issues that he was experiencing. You know, you've got a, a young boy there of eight years old who was outgoing, had a large circle of friends, bright, intelligent, fun loving. And at this time, at this point in time, he was practically a wreck. So they put him on the um, on the on this program, which has been completed. And at the end of that, the position was my ex-wife now has a masthead from the NSPCC, which says that I'm a domestic abuser. All based on what she's told them. Yes, but to have the backup of that charity put me in a position where if I was to take that to family court, I didn't have a chance. That would be absolutely solid evidence for no contact, um, one letter every three months. And just, just to clarify, is, is your son roughly eight, eight, nine years old at this point, the eldest? He's, he's, uh, he'll be 18 in February, in January. Okay, so, so, but at this point when he's having this support through the NSPCC or the DART programme, yeah. he's roughly eight years old, isn't he? Yes. Yeah. So you're basically, the, I mean, you know, on the one hand, I'm partial, I'm sympathetic to the NSPCC who are dealing with what, what they perceive as a victim and they, in, in some respects, they've got to believe. But then at the same time, utterly irresponsible to not uh, share that information <clears throat> with other agencies. Um, and utterly in, irresponsible to, on the basis of that information, i.e. your wife, to effectively gaslight an eight-year-old child. That's basically what they've done, isn't it? It is. They've gaslit your eight-year-old son. And, or, they, or your wife has, and, they've, and the NSPCC have reinforced that gaslighting. I think it's, it's, it's certainly... I'm certainly suspicious of the organisation as a whole, uh, because on the if you, if you go on the NSPCC's learning website, their program is aimed purely at mothers. No, you know, if if a male single parent has these issues, there is no DART program that will take a man um, on you know, on, on, onto okay. that, uh, that, that program. Um, yeah, so this, this, is, this is a living example of why a gender-based narrative around domestic abuse yeah. harms people and included in that is children. It is harmful to have a gender-based narrative around abuse. It's, it's cranky. And your, your testament to that. Yeah. The, you know, the, 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 the NSPCC quote, um, I quote in them now, there is a strong body of evidence demonstrating that females are disproportionately affected by domestic abuse. And they cite the Office for National Statistics in 2017 and Safe Lives, which is true. Those statistics do show that women are disproportionately affected. However, it is a 60-40 split at that time. And we're not taking into account the amount of men who do not report. Well, it's the Office of National Statistics that also say that men are three times less likely to report. Exactly. So, <laughs> so you've got 40% of the population being excluded there in the first instance. But if you read further up in the evidence uh, and evaluation section, the barriers to improvement of the delivery of the DART programme, and there were three barriers. One of them was some mothers resuming relationships with the perpetrator after the intervention which I can understand would be problematic to them. And I, I, I would, uh, would not be surprised that that happens in a significant number of cases. Um, 
challenging behaviour in some of the children's groups. Again, um, these are issues that they need to deal, deal with because you've got traumatised children that, that are being put into these situations. But one of the barriers, they say, is contact with the father. Nothing else, just contact with the father is a barrier to the DART programme. So not only are they lacking in checks and balances to check to, to you know understand the suitability of a candidate being put on this program, they are also moving for zero contact with the father whilst this program is being undertaken. And it's wrong. Good grief. Good grief. I mean, because one of the things I was going to ask, well, actually, I'll, I'll, I'll come to that a bit later because I've got, I've got something I wanted to show you about the NSPCC. But before we, we touch on that, um, Craig, I just want to... Uh, so we're still back in sort of right 2013-ish. So... Um, and that you are gradually being alienated from your your boys. What what was the long term outcome of that? Then what's happened? What's you know? What is your relationship so, with your children? Yeah. So the 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 escalation of of the alienation came about of me entering into a relationship with another woman. Yeah. Um. She has three children of her own. And my ex was stalking her and her children via social media. And what wow. was happening was she was harvesting images to build up a portfolio of, 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 of you know, my new girlfriend at that time and her children. And wow. she was presenting this portfolio to my eldest and saying, your dad's got a new life now. This is the new woman. These are, these are her children. These are, his, these, are, these are his new children now. He's not interested in you. And you should stay away from them because they're likely to bully you. And how, how, sorry, Craig, how do you know she was saying that to the kids? How, how do you know that? At that time, I still had contact with the eldest, with my eldest son, and he told me what she was saying. You know, I said, uh, you know, I, and he explained, I don't want to to meet these people. I don't want to because mum said that they're, 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 they're going to bully me. Um, the ex was ramping things up on that side by sending friend requests to these children which they were confused about because said like, who is this woman and why are they sending me a, a friend request? That actually turned into fear shortly afterwards um, because at the same time, um, the police had been sent to do a safe and well check. Um, my ex had contacted the police and said he's involved with... Um, a family with children and he's violent and you need to do a safe and well check. And this had come via the NSPCC. So they had to do it. As it happens, it was a community officer that knew what had gone on because he'd been involved from day one and they came to do the safe and well check and they did it as sensitively and um, as considerately as they possibly could. But when she turned up and said, I know this family, I know the situation that's going on here, I'll take this up. She, it was at that point we suggested getting in touch with the National Stalking Helpline to see if we could get some sort of action against this, um, this behaviour because, you know, the, the, my partner's children were, were scared now they, they, they were uh, they were worried about this and in the end um the the, the stalking helpline put pressure on the police and my ex was issued with um police information notice which is effectively a cease and desist 
And it was at that point um, that she said, no more contact. And she changed. She, she blocked every single means of contact with the children, whether it was email, social media, mobile telephone. She changed her telephone number and, and made it very, very clear that if I was to have any direct contact with her, she would report it to the police as a stalking matter and for all inquiries to go through her mother, who didn't reply to a single one. And that's effectively where contact finished. Wow. And I'm not a legal expert, but I'm thinking that as a father having children within a marriage, you have parental responsibility of these children and there's no court order that says otherwise. So do you not have any say in kind of like what school they go to, where they live, decisions about, you know, school reports, decisions about... <clears throat> you know, what they do and things like that? Have you had any... We, we initially... Yeah, we, that's true. We initially had cooperation from the schools um, with reports, copy photographs, um, things like that. But that... Um, that stopped. And um, the later academy wasn't cooperative at all. Um, it's... I have respect, yeah, I do have parental responsibility, but that's just to make sure that they are paid child support. I don't have any parental rights. From the point of her saying, if you contact me directly, I will pursue you for, uh, for harassment. That warning's been made and I am liable if I was to go through. So the on only course of action to take would be family court and I will be going up against somebody who's got an NSPCC masthead saying this man is an abuser and CAFCAS would just have to take one look at that and say that's all the evidence that we need no contact, no direct contact, one letter every quarter. And you've been paying child maintenance? Yes So, so as a father you've been financially supporting your children, but you can't see them or have any say in their well-being or welfare. Um, when was the last time you saw your boys? Father's Day, nine years ago. Wow. I can't believe that. I, I, I'm devastated for you. The, you know, shortly after that time, my own uh, mental health took a tumble, as you would expect. And um, I ended up on uh, antidepressants, so anxiety. And I'm very much of the theory that if your children are to turn up at your house one day, unexpected, you know, just right out of the blue, knock on the door, hi, Dad, how are you doing? I think it's very important how they find you. So there's no way that I wanted them to see me, you know, hungover or drunk, you know, living in squalor, surrounded by a surrounded by empty beer cans and cigarette butts. So I had to have a period where I was working on myself. So with the mental health thing, that was difficult. Um, I was, you know, that my, my job, my business suffered. Um, we were financially, you know, pretty wrecked uh, when my ex left. She left quite a, quite a lot of debt. Not as much as some people, but there is a sizable amount of debt which needed to be dealt with. Uh, and it's difficult. You get into a rut. You, you, you get into this, this sort of pit where that's very, very difficult to get out. And all the time you're conscious, you know, that I've, I've got these three boys and 
I can't really, I don't want to fall apart just, you know, for, because, you know, at any time they could be here and I have to be ready at, at, at any time. Um, and I, I just thought after, after a couple of years of, of living in this fog uh, that was connected with the tablets that I was taking, um, I just said, I'm not doing this anymore. Uh, went to a cold turkey and threw the tablets away. Because what they were doing is they were suppressing everything that was about me. So they, they, these, these drugs, you take them because it helps you cope with an adverse situation. And they work. Um, you know, it, it stops you from overthinking. It stops you from overanalyzing things. It, it makes things hard, easier to deal with. You can, you can, you know, it, but by doing that, it puts you into a bit of a stupor. I was interested in the dynamic of male suicide. And there was lots of cases where I thought this is being treated as an illness. Even when we talk about PTSD, they say it's, it's, it's a stress disorder. It's not a disorder. This is, this is a perfectly normal reaction. It's actually a trauma. You take a, a normal man, put him into a theater of combat, he's going to be traumatized. We can expect that. That's a normal reaction. So why are we treating it as a disorder? And what I've been going through was, 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 a, a, it, it was a, a trauma that had been inflicted on me by a third party or third parties. So I had to get help for that and come out of it. And that, that's, that's, I've always held that belief that, you know, it's, 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 not, it's not a disorder. It's not an illness that you have these thoughts. It's a normal reaction. You're facing something that you cannot seem to overcome. And the only way out is an exit, is the final exit. And we shouldn't be treating this as an illness. We should be treating it in a different way. It's like if I was to kick somebody in the leg, they'll get a bruise, they'll limp, but after time it'll heal, fix, go back, and we move on. It's exactly the same with what being, we're experiencing with mental health issues as a result of family breakdown. We have to talk about it. We have to treat it. In, a, in, a, in time, it will fix, and we move on. We don't use it as a, a, as a stick to beat people with afterwards saying they're mentally ill. They're not mentally ill. It's an injury. Yeah. I mean, the, the anguish, the separation from your children must cause is, is kind of un, unthinkable, really. So what, what, Craig, what do you think about the, the section of society that, that tries to argue? And it's quite topical because it's come up on them. Um, on social media quite a lot recently that 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 parental alienation is a concept or a theory that is unproven or um you know is used as a weapon against mothers i mean what tell me what you think about that um well, it, it's junk science and it, it doesn't actually it doesn't actually make a great deal of sense but we're not given the opportunity to scrutinize this, this theory. You know, the, the people that are putting down these recommendations towards, to, to the government, it isn't challenged. We're not allowed to challenge it. You know, this is the, the, you look at the committee meetings that take place when government's looking for guidance for changing legislation, it's the same faces. It's the same faces every time. You might have Mark Brooks from Mankind Initiative slotted in there, you might see Phil Mitchell. Um, I know there's lots of people involved in the background, but we're not actually getting to the front. And we yeah. don't have the power to hold these people to account. We're only going to get power when we can get our agenda on the table. And then Absolutely. we'll scrutinise um, this, 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 uh, this, this, this doctrine that's being proposed yeah. well, as, 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 as 
you know, worthy of changing legislation. Yeah, well, if that, you're that, going to court, there's a problem. Yeah, that, that's the end of the matter. Yeah. Well, let me let me let me read you this. So the minute the House of Lords Children and Families Act 2014 select committee inquiry is asking for written evidence from various quarters. And uh, the NSPCC have given their written evidence. And interestingly, there's a section in there that are talking about presumption of contact with parents, etc. And um, so they touch on parental alienation. So let me just read you this, see what you think of this. I don't think you're going to like it. Um, so uh, so they, they, they make reference to the harm review, which is um, about family court. And they just say that um, an issue that's been highlighted is the credence given to the claims of parental alienation, quote unquote, whereby children's views against contact with one parent and therefore contrary to the presumption of parental involvement were seen as contaminated by the other parent, usually the mother. Again, making reference to mothers being the victims here more than anyone. This results in claims of domestic or other abuse being dismissed or minimised, while claims of alienation are taken seriously by both judges and other court professionals such as CAFCAS. The NSPCC does not believe there is sufficient evidence to support the concept of parental alienation. What do you think to that? Um, well, firstly, it's old. Uh, 2017, there are a lot more academics coming online now that are studying this dynamic and they are studying it in some detail. So it goes back to um, getting the opportunity to challenge some of these views. Um, it, it, it's, By the way, it, that's this, this, this cabal of people that, that, um, that, 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 are, that are maintaining the dynamic of separating fathers from their children and um, prolonging family court proceedings, um, you know, non-government organisations, all these courses, these are all about money. It is a huge money spinner. And all of them have a vested interest. You know, the, the reports are being, subject, are being submitted to the government. They're all paid for. They're all funded. No matter how uh, ridiculous they may be, all of them have come with an invoice. And we're just not getting the opportunity to counter any of this. Um, I mean, it, it, we're going on to a different topic now of um, institutions that have a vested interest in maintaining the current status quo or advancing it so that there is a presumption of the father does not have contact with his children until he proves himself worthy. So the whole, the whole premise of innocent until proven guilty is out of the window in the civil cases like this. You go in there guilty, you've got to prove yourself you're innocent, yeah. which is, strictly yeah. speaking, is, is, is impossible. But what I've found over the past seven years of helping dads dealing with um, family breakdown is that the more hoops that you jump through, the more domestic abuse perpetrator programs that you attend, the anger management programs, um, God knows what else, then as you're ticking these boxes off or, or you know, jumping through these hoops, then eventually you might be able to have contact with your children, but only at the discretion of the court. Yeah. In most cases, no. they run out of money. No, it's, it's, it's a huge imbalance and... Um, you know, you, you've, you've given us a really powerful story of, of uh, when you're on the wrong end, when you're on, well, how it feels to be on the wrong end of all this. Um, before we wrap up, Craig, is there anything else you wanted to say or add about, about your story at this point? This is, this is my story is just one of many. Um, and... I don't think it's the worst one in the world either. Um, my issue is 
mainly um, connected with how organisations can get involved, act carelessly and ruin lives. You know, the, the NSPCC, with the DART programme, my son was evaluated by a counsellor who was no way qualified to make that call for his suitability to undertake that programme. Yeah. They are just, they are, the counsellors are facilitating um, a programme that I would say, I hope, was professionally constructed by clinical psychologists specialised in child psychology, and they were just delivering. But the fact that they put my son on this programme without completing that checklist, which is there just to fill spaces on a pilot programme that they were keen to implement as soon as possible. There's no scrutiny. I cannot hold them to account. I cannot, I'm not in a position to sue the NSPCC. It's just not right, is it? It's just not right. It's just not right. um, Yeah. I think moving forward, I think what we need to understand is that there are a lot of people in the background that are working tirelessly on highlighting these issues and trying to come up with a solution, putting people in place who are able to challenge some of this academic material that is backing up these claims. And I think we need to get behind these individuals and these groups and get our agenda on the table, get this evidence into the committee rooms at Westminster. That's how we're going to go forward. It's not, we've, we've tried dressing up as Spider-Man and hanging off Tower Bridge. It's great for getting public attention, but the public aren't that bothered. This is a toxic, toxic topic. The media do not want to touch it. And if you yeah. talk to people well, in society in general, they're aware of it, but... Yeah. Well, it take a very it brave MP. Me, take a very brave MP to speak up against Vogue. <laughs> So, yeah. <laughs> so that's for sure. Um, well, look, I, you know, well, well done you for holding it together through what everything you've you've been through. Um, I mean, I mean, to kind of finish on a positive, um, you know, you, you're in. A, I take it you're in a healthy relationship now, Craig. Yes. Yes, I am. Uh, yeah. I, I am in a healthy relationship. Um, yeah. Things change. Time goes on. As I said, my eldest is is. He's coming up to 18 years old and that's, you know, you speak to dads, that's the golden, the golden um, age from that point, you know, the dynamic may change. Um, so rather optimistically, we're waiting to see if anything happens on there. In the meantime, I will carry on helping other people who are affected by this dynamic. Yeah. And, um, and I think we should all look at, doing a bit more research and see who is going to be effective to, to, to challenge this narrative. And I, I think for me in the future, I'm going to be doing more campaigning than I have done in the past. Brilliant. Um, and see if we can raise awareness, um, you know, challenge some of this, this narrative that, 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 that all men, you know, that, that, that all men should be um, prevented from seeing their children until they've proved themselves worthy of, of, of yeah. having contact. Because well, the effects of fatherlessness are, are well known. We don't have to go into that. No, absolutely. And, and again, hopefully coming forward and, and talking to us is going to help with that awareness. And, you know, I'm hoping that there are other dads that maybe hopefully watch this video and think, you know, I'm ready to tell my story and I'd like to get my story out too. Cause I think the more voices we add, you know, it adds weight to the, to, you know, the, to counter this nonsense really that we see, that we see in the press. Um, so. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I'd, I'd like to catch up with you again in a few months time. Let's see what, yeah. um, what we can, um, let's see if we can rattle a few cages and see yeah. how we can sort of push, things forward on a campaigning level um and you know so support some of the people that are doing this quite 
in-depth work in the background of, of doing the studies, of getting the statistics together and challenging some of these reports that, that are being submitted to the government. We need to just get this out in the open. And until we, we can get our agenda on the, the, the table, we're powerless. No, absolutely. Okay. Um, well, that seems like a good place to end it, Craig. And as I said, you know, thank you so much for, you know, bearing everything because, um, you know, you really did give the warts and all there and uh, sort of bared your soul a little bit. But I think it's really appreciated. And I'm sure there'll be people that hear this and, um, you know, they'll, they'll find some guidance and comfort from what they've heard from you. So, you know, thank you so much for, for sharing your voice with us. No problem. Thank you. Yeah. Thank, thank you so much, Craig. So this has been Craig and I'm Nick and this has been FTD Talk. See you soon.